0: Thank you, John, and greetings to all my brothers and sisters here in Prescott, Arizona. I bring you good news from Huntington Beach, California. There are still Christians in California. They have not all moved here to join you. Uh, In fact, uh, God is doing a great work in Huntington Beach. Jesus is building his church, and nothing can stop him. Uh, we, just in the last month, we had record numbers of people hearing the word of God preached. I got to see a lady get down on her knees and beg God for forgiveness for her sins and a new life in Jesus Christ just this last week. And, and last week at, at our church at Huntington Beach, I saw Andrew Gutierrez there with his wife and his family. And uh, Andrew and I are friends, and what I mean by that is it's not like we're just friendly to one another. We are real friends. Uh, we We are brothers in Christ, and he and I were doing high school ministry at the same time, and then we were planting churches at the same time. And so God had me and Andrew on a very parallel path so that we could speak into one another's lives and encourage one another and the encouragement between me and him. Has been mutual. And that's what I want to talk about. If you'll open your Bible with me to Romans chapter 1, verses 8 to 12 is actually going to be our text. And I want to read this for us. And I want us to give this our full and undivided attention. I don't believe there are any flyover verses in the Bible, all right? Just like there are no flyover states in America. Can I get an amen from that, Arizona, right? There are no, there are no flyover states in America. There are no flyover verses. And a lot of times, well, the way the book of Romans gets talked about, you think it would start in chapter 1, verse 16 for I am not ashamed of the gospel. That's the most famous verse, and then it goes on from there. But we want to make sure we see Romans 1, 8 to 12 together here this morning. In fact, I would even ask a question as we begin. Why is the book of Romans number one in the order of Paul's 13 letters? Why is the book of Romans his most famous talked-about letter of all time? The answer is is actually in this text. So I am going to ask if everyone would stand up, if you're able to, if you could stand up for the public reading of Scripture. And I am going to ask everybody, whether you stand or not, to give this your full and undivided attention, because these are not my words. This is the Word of God. And this is going to cut straight to the thoughts and intents of our heart. Let's hear what God has to say to us today. Romans chapter 1, verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. That's the reading of God's Word. Please go ahead and have your seat. And so Romans is different than any other letter that Paul writes. Uh, Paul writes 13 letters, and Romans is different because... Uh, All the other letters are some kind of follow-up. Paul already has been to the church. Maybe he planted the church, or someone who serves with him planted the church, and he's writing the church a follow-up letter. Or maybe it's even a person like Titus or Timothy that he knows and loves, and he's poured his life into them, and he's writing them a follow-up. Hey, how are you doing? See, this is not a follow-up. The book of Romans is unique. It's, it's not a follow-up. It's actually an introduction. And since he hasn't been able to get there, since he's been so delayed, the reason he writes Romans is, his, since I can't get there and teach you the gospel, I'm just going to write it out to you for 16 epic chapters. And so what you have in Romans more than any other letter is the teaching that Paul would have given the first time you heard him, the first time he came to town, when he started the church in a new city, he would have started teaching. And that's what Romans is. Hey, I I, I wish I could come and see you. I long to see you. I'm I'm praying that God will now at last let me come and see you. But since I haven't been able to come, I'm going to write it down for you. And what Romans is is it's Paul's masterclass on the gospel. Now I can tell you when Romans was written. If you're are you willing to flip around in your Bible a little bit here, everybody, uh, Canyon Bible Church, let's go to Romans fifteen, verse twenty-five. Let's just jump to the end of the book and let's turn some pages here, and let's get the context of when Romans was written, uh, and, and it'll give a great meaning to our text specifically. But if you go to the end here, towards the end, and and really, even though he's never been to Rome, chapter 16 is a whole chapter of him greeting people because so many people he knows are there. And so you get a strong sense of how much he really actually cares for the people. And in Romans 15, verse 22, he says, This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, because he wants their support on his missionary journey in Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Verse 25, this is when Romans was written. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. From Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. And so later on in in verse 30, he asked that they would pray that he would be delivered from the persecution he's going to experience in Jerusalem so that he would be able to go to Rome. So that's when it was written. The book of Romans was written... Now, right after Acts chapter 19, verse 21, somewhere before Acts 21. In fact, let's just turn over to Acts. I want you to really see this. Hopefully, if you don't know when Romans was written, hopefully this will stick with you. Why is it a unique book of the Bible? Because it's his actual teaching rather than his follow-up to the teaching. When was it written? Well, it was written when he was on his way to Jerusalem. He was coming from Macedonia and Achaia with the gifts of all the new churches that had started. He was even bringing representatives from the different churches to go make this presentation in Jerusalem. Look at all the churches Jesus has planted. Look at all the believers from other places. Here's a gift to support the original church and the poor saints there in Jerusalem. So in Acts 19.21, this is a key verse in the book of Acts. Sometimes it's referred to the last missionary journey, but it's not really a missionary journey. It's a personal journey. It says here in Acts 19.21, Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. So you can see from, from that moment... And He sets his heart, and it's from the Spirit. It's what God wanted him to do. He's going to go to Jerusalem. He gets there in chapter 21, and then he's going to go to Rome. It takes him all the way to chapter 28. So right here from 1921 all the way to the end of the book of Acts, it's all about Paul's journey to go to Rome. And, and, and right here, 19 to 21, somewhere in there, he writes this letter to the believers in Rome. And he says, hey, I haven't been able to get there yet. He's, he's delayed a lot. If you know the book of Acts, he goes through a lot of trouble, a lot of tribulations on his way to Rome. And because he's delayed, he says, I'm going to write the teaching out to you ahead of time. Go to Acts 28, and you'll see the moment that he finally makes it. What an epic study it is from 1921 here to 2815, the moment when he arrives. And because they've read his letter of Romans, they gather from so far away. It says here, this is Acts 28, verse 15, and the brothers there, when they heard about us, they came as far as the form of Appius and three taverns, which if you were around Rome, I mean those are those are good distances. Those are like 20, 30, possibly up to 50 miles they're coming just to see Paul because they're so inspired by the book of Romans. And it says, on seeing them, when he finally gets to see these people, Paul thanked God and took courage. So when he sees the church, the people of God there in Rome, he thanks God for them. Now, with that introduction, go back to Romans chapter 1, verse 8, just a page over there in your Bible, because that's what he does here. He explains the gospel in the first seven verses. So I don't know why people skip over Romans 1 right down to verse 16, because all of Romans chapter 1 is, is epic scripture. The first seven verses are a great definition of Paul's gospel that he would preach, the gospel of God, he says. And then here in verse 8, in classic, like Paul style, he says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. And if you've ever read Paul's writing, you know that once he gets going, he just takes off, right? Run on sentences, right? Sentences that are entire paragraphs. When he says first here, I'm pretty sure we never get to a second in the entire book of Romans, all right? This is Once Paul gets going, he he gets fired up by the power of the Spirit. And so first, he just wants to make it very clear that he is so thankful for their faith. Even though he hasn't been there, he's heard about it. He knows some people who are there, and he thanks God for their faith. Now, this is what I mean by a flyover. Because a lot of times when Paul's writing a letter... The introduction of Paul's greeting. And then in nine of his 13 letters, he starts out by thanking God for them. Specifically, what is he thankful to God for? The fact that they believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. In nine of his 13 letters... Uh, the only two letters to churches that he doesn't thank God specifically for their faith is Galatians when he's telling them, hey, do you guys even still believe the gospel? Why are you deserting the gospel? And then Second Corinthians when there's clearly conflict between the church and him, and he's writing to address them, and, and he's talking about how he almost just died. Those are the only two times when he's addressing a crisis that he doesn't start by thanking God for their faith. Also in 1 Timothy and Titus, when he's telling them they got to appoint elders to to get into these churches. These churches need help. they got to get some elders in there. The churches are going to go crooked if the elders don't make sure they're on the straight path. So those are the four letters where he doesn't say it. In nine of his 13 letters, he starts out by saying, I thank God for you and your faith. I wonder how many times we just fly right over that. I wonder how many times we just take God's people for granted and we just assume, of course there's people here who are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. If you've ever had a loved one, a spouse, Uh, a son or a daughter, a father or a mother, a brother or a sister, and you begged God, please God, be merciful and save their soul, and God eventually saved them, and your prayer was answered, and you saw God take someone you love and radically turn their life around, you will know you can never take that for granted. No, we should thank God for everyone you know who has faith. If you are taking notes, I would put that down for point number one. Something we're learning to do from Paul's example, you gotta thank God for everyone you know who has faith. If you know somebody and they believe in Jesus, the reason they believe in Jesus is God opened their eyes to the glory of the gospel. God saved their soul. He gave them a new heart. He put his spirit within them. And you should be like, God, thank you, Father in heaven, for making so-and-so. my brother or sister in faith here on earth i am so thankful that they are with me and they believe in jesus christ anybody here ever watch somebody that you know and love fall away from the faith Have you ever experienced that heartbreak? If you stay Christian for long enough, if you keep persevering to the end, if you stay a part of this church, you're going to see somebody and you love them. You thought of them like a family member and then all of a sudden one day they turn away. Maybe it happens suddenly. Maybe it happens in a long, drawn-out time where you can see they don't have the fire. They've lost their faith. They, They fall away. How your heart breaks how you cry out to the Lord in prayer, oh, if they just had faith still. If you know people and you can tell they believe in Jesus, I would start making a thank you list of all the people that you know that you want to just say, God, I can tell this person they are one of your people. You have saved them. They believe in you. Thank you, God, for their faith. That's how he starts out. I want to encourage you, don't take God's people for granted. Thank God for them. That's that's what he says in in verse 8. Then look with me here at at verse 9. He says, For God is my witness, verses 9 and 10, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing to mention you always in my prayers... So not only is he thanking God for their salvation that has happened beforehand, but he is continuing to pray for them. And so that could be number two if you're taking notes. You pr- thank God for those who have faith. Pray for them to continue in the faith. I'm not just glad that they have faith today. I want them to f- cross that finish line with faith. I want to see them in the kingdom at the wedding feast. We want to celebrate our salvation in Jesus together. So he prays for people. Now, I love this here in verse 9, for he says something that not everybody could say. He says, God is my witness. See, God knows whether you really pray or not. Nobody else really knows whether you go to the secret place whether you really spend time one-on-one with the Lord in prayer. Uh, Jesus encourages you that when you pray, you go and shut the door. It's just you and your Father in heaven, and and you pray to him secretly, and then he'll answer your prayers publicly, but but it's between you and God. And Paul's saying, hey, I'm not just saying that I'm praying for you. God is my witness that I'm praying for you guys all the time i wonder what kind of christian i'm talking to here today because there's a kind of christian that's taken over in america you can't find them in the bible but you'll find them all over the churches in america and it's a kind of christian that says you'll pray for somebody and then you don't actually pray for them are you that kind of christian because god is your witness God knows that whether these emails go out to the members here, whether so-and-so says, hey, this is happening in my life, will you pray for me? God knows whether we really pray for one another or not. And Paul, if you go study his letters, if you go to Ephesians, if you go to Philippians, if you just go to these nine of 13 letters where he starts by thanking God, you would get the feeling that Paul is praying for all these believers all the time, that it is the passion of his heartbeat. It's what drives him forward i gotta see how my brothers or sisters are doing in their faith and when he's not with him he's talking to the father about him oh father please i pray for my brothers and sisters that they will continue in the faith are you praying like that first of all do you even thank god for the people he's put in your life who have faith and then do you pray that they'll endure in the faith they'll continue in the faith they'll mature and grow up in their faith he can say and god knows he can say, God, you know that, that I am always without ceasing thinking of the Roman believers in my prayers and begging you that I can get to Rome and I can come and give them the teaching of the gospel. There's a passion that Paul has for prayer that is sadly lacking from many churches and many Christians in America today. The Bible assumes that you do pray, but somehow in our church, in our time, it's become okay for Christians not to pray in the secret place. I've learned as a pastor working with people who call themselves Christians. Oh, they'll tell me their whole resume of all the great things they've done for God, but then you find out they ain't praying on a regular basis. They ain't spending time in the secret place. Is God is your witness. Do you spend time in prayer, and do you lift up your brothers and sisters in the faith? See, Paul here, he's thanking God, and then he's praying for them. And I want to recommend a book. I don't always do this, but if you are taking notes, write down Praying with Paul by D.A. Carson. If you realize that you have been flying over these passages, and you haven't really studied how Paul thanks God for people and how he prays for people, This book by D.A. Carson goes through Praying with Paul. It goes through all these examples of his prayer. Let's just flip on over to Philippians and look at one of the examples. There's so many I could take you to. We don't have enough time to go to all of them. But let's just look at Philippians as an example of this kind of prayer that Paul is praying that I'm asking, are we praying here? And Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, if you can flip on over there with me. He says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you so this this is just a practical when you think of somebody thank God for them and a lot of times when I'm meeting with somebody I'll just pray for them right then and there at the beginning of our time when they're gonna leave like maybe even when you're talking with one another after church and then you're gonna see one another hey I'll pray for you this week one thing I've learned is if I'm gonna say I'll pray for you I just turn that into can I pray for you right now that that's way I make sure that prayer happens and he says whenever he remembers them he's thanking God for them and then he says always in verse 4 always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy why because we're partners in the gospel from the first day until now and I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring into completion at the day of Jesus Christ what, a, what an easy thing to pray for your brothers and sisters because you already know it's God's will. You already know it's going to be God's work that he will complete the good work of salvation. He has begun. And Paul, he says, verse 7, "...it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace." both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Here he is again, Philippians one For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all, I long for you all, I have a passion for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. I love you all with the love that Jesus had when he laid down his life, when he shed his blood, when he took our place. I love you all with that same love. And so it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. That's, that's what he's praying for them. Usually when I talk to somebody at church and they're frustrated with other people at the church, one of the first questions I will ask is have you been praying for that person you're frustrated with? And the answer, oftentimes the answer to that is no. And that is the source of their frustration because they have not been thanking God for them. And they have not been praying for them with this kind of passion. Now, go back to uh, Romans chapter 1, and, and let's get into how he longs to see them. So, I want to encourage you to thank God for everyone you know who has faith, to pray for them, to continue in the faith. And you don't need to even pray for them one by one. I used to pray like that long lists of people. You can do that, but you can also pray for this entire church by just saying we, us, and our. You can pray in the plural, well, you can pray for your whole small group, your whole women's discipleship study as you come and intercede on their behalf. God, I pray for us, that's how Jesus taught us to pray, for us that we come on behalf of a group. And so you can pray for a lot of people very quickly when you pray on behalf of your entire church or your entire fellowship or family. But look what he says here at the end of verse 10. He's talking about, I I just got to get to you. I'm praying that God, and now at last I could succeed in coming to you. Verse 11, for I long to see you. This is a great desire that he has here. This is not like, oh, it's Sunday, I guess I'll go to church. This is not just like, oh, I guess it'll be nice to see so-and-so. There is a passion here. He wants to see these people. This is a great longing. This is the same word that is used when it talks about newborn babies longing for the pure spiritual milk. And there's some moms that want to say amen to that one, right? That's a strong desire. That baby ain't gonna stop crying till it gets the milk. It also uses this word, like those who are groaning in their tents and their and their bodies, because they are longing. They can't wait till they're out of this broken down body and they want to get a new body, and they want to see Jesus, and they want to be with Him in glory, and they long to see Jesus. That's the idea. It's a passion. It is way too easy for people to be like, "Ah, I'm not going to make it to small group this week. Something came up. I guess I can't make it to church this Sunday. We got something else going on. I don't see many times this passion. Like, I can't wait to see my brothers and sisters. I can't wait to see them. That's how He is here. This is a longing I'm not here to to judge anyone, but I, I am here to ask you to search your heart. Can you honestly say that you have a passion for the people here at this church, that you long to see them? In our day and age, when you use the word church, a lot of people are referring to a place and a lot of people are referring to a time, but the church of Jesus is His people, and He paid for every single one of them with His blood. Do you love the people at your church? Do you long for them? I know a lot of people, I don't, know, I don't know how you guys do it here in Arizona, but in California, there's plenty of people. They'll cruise into church. They'll cruise right out. They won't talk to anybody. They're just like, hey, I'm here for God. I don't know exactly what they're thinking, but they come in a little late. They bounce as soon as it's over. Sometimes they won't even sing the last song. We have to literally place people by the doors and stock them so they won't leave without talking to another person. Because we're, we're like, hey, this is church. You can't. You can't. There's no anonymous church, right? We're going to talk to you. We care about you. We love you. You're a soul that Jesus died for. I'm talking to you right now, and I'm asking you: Do you have a passion for the other people right here in this theater? Do you long to see them? That's that's the example that we're given here in Romans chapter one. I mean, and if you ever have read through the Book of Acts, I mean, he's almost going to die multiple times trying to get to Rome. I mean, he's going he's gonna to be in prison the whole time. He's going to be shipwrecked after he barely survives a shipwreck by the grace of God. He's going to get bit by a snake, and everybody thinks he's dead because of that. And I mean, he is putting his life on the line to come to Rome to see these people. What are you doing for the other people? What is your passion for them? A verse you could write down is Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 and 25 where it says we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And a lot of people use that as a verse as why you should go to a church like this, but but this is not really the assembling of ourselves together in the way that Hebrews 10 24 and 25 is talking about. Oh, we're here. We're all here to assemble as the church. We're all here to hear the preaching of the word. We're all here to respond and worship, but it says things in those verses like consider how you could spur one another on to love and good deeds, or encourage your one another's all the more as you see the day approaching, implying that there's an interaction among the people that happens at church. There's a one another-ness, like I know who you are, and you know who I am, and we're invested in each other. We're building into each other's lives, and part of the reason I go to church, yes, I love to worship God. Yes, I love to hear from His Word, but I go to church because that's where God's people are going to be, and I can't wait to see him do you have a longing to see your brothers and sisters in christ and he has a specific purpose continue to look with me at verse 11 he says i long to see you that i may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you and people have been confused what does that mean there about spiritual gifts some people have said that means he's going to come and give them the holy spirit But we know that's not what it means because in chapter 8, he's already expecting that they have the Holy Spirit and they're not walking in the flesh. Some people say he wants to give them spiritual gifts. They don't have spiritual gifts yet, but we know that's not true because in Romans chapter 12, he's telling them to use the spiritual gift that the Holy Spirit has already given them. Everybody's got a gift they're supposed to use to build up the church, to build up the body of Christ. So when he says, I want to impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, what does he want to bring to them? Well, because he can't get there, he's already giving it to them. It's the word. It's the gospel. It's the teaching. See, he says, I want to come and strengthen you. I want to establish you. I want to build you up. And what he means by that is, I'm, when I see you, I'm going to have something to say to you. And what I say to you is going to be something that God has put on my heart, something from the Word of God. It's like the Word of Christ is going to be dwelling in me richly. I'm going to be filled with the Spirit. And then when I get together with the brothers and sisters at at an event like this or maybe at one of the small groups, I'm going to have so much to say because I can't wait to strengthen you. That's the idea. When the believers get together together, Every one of us should have something to say. We don't need pastors to build up the church. Every single person here can build up the body of Christ. Do you guys say amen here? Can I get an amen from anybody on that? I mean, go to Ephesians chapter 4, and let's just make it clear that it's not just the pastor's job to build up the church. And uh, this is every single person here, you need to be in the Word. You need to be praying. You need to be hearing the Word taught. And, and you need to then have something on your heart that you is real between you and God and you want to share with your brothers and sisters. Look at how it says it here in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. It says, and he gave, God gave the apostles like Paul, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, like like the elders you guys are blessed with here, like Andrew, uh, to equip the saints. Who does the work of the ministry? The saints, everybody who's saved. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Look down at verse 15 with me. Look what it says. This is, a, this is a verse for something you're supposed to be doing here at your church. It says in verse 15 rather speaking the truth in love. This is not preaching, this is each one of us to each other. Speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up into every way, into him who is the head, into Christ, and from whom the whole body. Joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. He wants to go to Rome because he's got something to say. I'll tell you what, I've been to so many small groups in my life at church. I I grew up going to church my whole life, and I've been to so many small groups. And it's like, hey, we all heard that sermon we're here to talk about. We all read this portion of Scripture we're here to talk about all right, who's got something to say? And it's, and it's like this eerie silence comes over the people of God. Have you ever been in this small group with me? All of a sudden, what is that? There's a cricket in the corner playing the violin. Have you ever noticed how loud the silence can be sometimes? When Christian brothers or sisters come together in the name of Jesus, we've all heard the sermon, we've all read the word, who's got something to say and nobody's got something to say. May it never be true here. When you show up with the brothers and sisters, you, you, there should be uh, overflowing out of your soul something that God has got going on inside of you, something that you're ready to share with your one and others, some spiritual gift that you're ready to strengthen them. Man, I love it when we say, who's got something to say? And people start talking all over themselves. And somebody says, I needed to hear this sermon because when I heard this sermon, I was convicted about this, and I haven't been doing All it takes is one honest person to set a small group on fire. That's all it takes. One person getting real, one person being open and honest and setting a tone that we can talk here, we can share what's really going on here, we can share what the Word is really doing in our hearts, and then boom, it spreads. Is that what you're showing up at the group to do? Are you, a lot of people today, they're like, well, who's going to encourage me? No, 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 no. The encouragement is meant to be mutual. Go back to Romans chapter 1, and he says, hey, I'm going to show up, and I'm going to have something to say to you. But then Paul, he, he, it's almost like he corrects himself here in Romans chapter 1, verse 12. It's almost like he catches himself because he wants to make it very clear that this isn't about just him coming to strengthen them. No, this he, he says it very carefully. That is, almost like he checks himself. Hey, hold on, because we know how Paul can get going when he speaks. Hold on, that is, let me, let me, let me hold it up. Let me make it clear what I mean that we may be, this is Romans 1-12, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. The Apostle Paul fully expected That he could go and hang out with brothers and sisters, some of them he had never met. And as he came with something to say to them, he would be encouraged as he saw their faith in return. The best way to be encouraged is to set out to do the work of encouragement. If you're waiting for people to come to you, that's not how the Scripture tells you to think about it. If you're looking for friends to come to you or people to reach out to you, no, that's not how it works. Here in verse 12, it uses a very important phrase when it says that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. There's a Greek word there that's used a hundred times in the Greek New Testament. All alone is this Greek word and it means one another's. It's interesting that this word that sounds to us in English like all alone, this Greek word, all alone, it actually means we are one another's. Over a hundred times in the Greek New Testament, it says that you need to have one another's and it always says what you're supposed to do for your one another's that you that you love your one another's you pray for your one another's you encourage your one another's you greet your one another's it it, yeah it implies that there's going to be a boomerang effect where it's going to come back around to you through the one another's the encouragement will be mutual but it starts with you taking the initiative and you going to encourage them a lot of people are waiting to be encouraged. That's not what the Scripture says. It doesn't say, hey, go and get encouraged by one another. It always puts it like encourage one another, greet one another. So can, you see, can you see the passion that Paul has? He's thanking God for their faith, he's praying for their faith, and then he's got to get there. He's got to be with them in person. He wants to say something to them from his heart to theirs, and he's expecting that when we get together and when we start to share, there is going to be this encouragement that's going to be mutual, and everybody's going to walk out of there like they just met with the people of God, and they're ready to spread it to the world. That's what he's talking about. And at the end of Acts, he gets there, and what happens? He sees them. He thanks God. And guess what happens to Paul's heart? He's encouraged. He takes courage. The encouragement is mutual. So I'm speaking, and I don't know you, but I know there's somebody here that's thinking, I wish people would reach out to me. Well, you just got the answer is that you are sent to reach out to other people. That's how it works. In fact, all that's really going to matter, the only thing that you and I can take with us at the end of all of this is our one another's. Like that, that house, like all that money you've got invested, even your family that you love so much, if they're not brothers and sisters in Christ, the only thing we're taking with us out of this life into eternity is those who have faith. That's, that's really all that will last all that is eternal. When you think about how many hours people spend at their house, with their family, or at work, and then you think of how many hours people spend together as a church, and they complain about the church hours, it's really messed up the way a lot of people are thinking about it, because here together as God's people, this is what will echo for eternity. This is what will last after this life everybody here who's got faith, we will all be at a wedding feast someday, and we will all raise a toast to Jesus, and we'll look at one another, and we'll say, we made it. Can you believe it? People like us made it to the kingdom of glory, and you will be so glad for every single thing you ever did to invest in somebody else's faith. You will realize, I wish I had done more of that. That was worth it. If you're taking notes, number three, invest your life for their souls. Invest your life for their souls. You got a small group. You got a men's or women's discipleship group. You got some people here that are your brothers and sisters. You know and love them. Do whatever it takes. Pour it out. Give it all, whatever it takes, so that they continue in the faith. Because your faith and their faith, that mutual faith that you share together now, that's the only thing that will matter in eternity over to 1 Thessalonians 3 and I just want to show you an example of, of another way that this looked 1 Thessalonians will actually start in two 17. we'll read into 3 in Thessalonica Paul came and he preached there he was only there a short time preached the gospel people got saved the church got started then they chased him out of town and so he was only there for a short time and Paul felt really bad because he didn't give to give he did not get to give them the full teaching. And so he got chased out of town. So this is how he describes it. Look at this. This is 1 Thessalonians 2.17. This is him riding to a church. He's only known for a short time. And then he got chased out of town. And he says, but since we were torn away from you, brothers. The word there you could translate, since we were orphaned from you. Even though he's only known him a short time. He's like, we're family and we got torn away. It's like a family getting separated. And so he says, brothers, for a short time, in person but not in heart, because my heart is still with you, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. I'm like, i got to get back to Thessalonica and see how those new believers are doing because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but, and, and look who it says here in verse 18, who hindered Paul from getting back to them? See, I don't think people realize who wants you to miss that small group Who wants you to not be at church on Sunday? Who wants you to not be there when your brother or sister really needs you? Who is the prowling lion who loves to isolate his prey from the one another's? Like He nails it right here. Oh, it's hard for the believers to get together. It's hard for us to get face to face. Because when we get together, that mutual encouragement takes place. It's almost like there's opposition against it. Yeah, he says, Satan. He gives it a name. Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming? It is, not, is it not you? I mean, isn't this what we're going to glory in, have joy in? Isn't this all that's going to matter in eternity? Is our brothers and sisters in the faith? You are our glory and joy, He says. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, chapter 3, verse 1, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. You can go read in Acts 17. He sends his his team. He sends Timothy specifically. I I need you to go back to Thessalonica and I need you to go find out how they're doing. And he ends up in Athens all by himself because he would rather be by himself and find out how the Thessalonians are doing than have Timothy there with him. Verse 2, we sent Timothy... Our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. Here's the same two words in Romans 1, 11 and 12. To establish or strengthen and exhort or encourage you in your faith. This is what Paul, this is what matters to him. This is the bottom line. Where are the people with faith and how can I encourage them in their faith? Thank God for them. Pray for them. Be there with them. Give them all you've got. That's what he's saying. And if I can't do it, I'll send Timothy to do it. Because these Jews were chasing him around. And he says, I don't want anyone to be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand, we're going to suffer affliction. And just as it has come to pass, and just as you know, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now... Now Timothy has come to us from you, and he's brought us good news of your faith and your love, and he's reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. There it is again, that longing, that passion. Oh, you guys are missing me just like I'm missing you. What good news from Timothy. You're firm in your faith, You love me. I want to see you. You want to see me. You can feel his joy in response to Timothy coming with this good news. And he says in verse 7, For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. Here he is being chased. Here he is on the run. Here he is in Athens getting into it with the philosophers. And he's having a hard time. But guess what? He's encouraged because they are encouraged in their faith. Even long distance here, there's mutual encouragement because of their shared faith. And then he says this, and I wonder what you think about this verse. I don't know if you're familiar with it. First Thessalonians 3.8, he says, for now we live. If you are standing fast in the Lord, like if I asked you, hey, what is the good life? What is a good day in your life? What is the goal of your life? Like, if you're evaluating your life, what would you say? Now, that's real living. Now, that's the good life right there. Like, I wonder what your answer would be. Going on vacation, being at this spot, being at my house, having my family around me. Like, I wonder what your answer would be. Oh, that's real living right there. You know what Paul's answer was? For now we live when my brothers and sisters are in the faith. That's the definition of life, and he says in verse nine, "For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith." I mean, look at this passion that he's now that he has this good news, now that he knows they're in the faith. Oh, he's just praying even more night and day. He wants to see their faith grow. So I ask you, are you thankful for one another's faith? Are you praying for each other to continue in the faith? And are you pouring out your life for the people here at this church? You know, the sad thing is, I feel like in in the time that we're living in, I brought good news from Huntington Beach. I think the sad reality is that if I brought bad news here today, If I brought bad news about how bad America is becoming, about how far we've turned away from God, about all the sin that God has given us up into, and I started talking about politics and evil things and all the bad news, I bet there would be a lot of people who would be like, yeah, preach it, man. Amen. America's going to get judged. We need to repent. But see, when I bring the good news and I say, look around at how many people actually believe in Jesus, Look at how the true churches are prospering in this environment. Look at how more and more people are getting saved. Look at the one and others you know and see them grow. See God's work being completed. See that God is on the move and Jesus is building his church. The sad reality of our day and age is even the Christians get more excited about the bad news than the good news. And So I'm asking you, are you celebrating the good news And are you pouring your life into something that's going to matter for all of eternity? That there are people here at this church, people that will not be known as being from Prescott, Arizona, but they will be known as being citizens of heaven in the kingdom of God. People who will be at the wedding feast, raising glasses, giving a toast, looking at one another and saying, we made it. We're here. We got here together through our mutual encouragement in the faith let me pray for you all right now father in heaven we come to you in great need of this kind of encouragement father we're living in a culture where it's so easy to isolate it's so easy to rip on other people it's so easy to act like they out there are the problem father i pray that we would hear your word here today pray that we would take it to heart And I pray that we would see the good work that you're doing right here in this church. God, I thank you so much for my brothers and sisters who have faith in this church. Father, I thank you. You you are my witness, how I thank you for my friend, Andrew. And I thank you for all your people here, even people I don't know, but I've heard Andrew talk about many times. I thank you for everyone here who has faith. And Father, I pray that this church, that the best days of this church will be ahead of them. The best days of Reach and Prescott in the name of Jesus, will be ahead, that the best days of sharing fellowship and mutual faith will be ahead for the brothers and sisters here. I pray for these small groups that are going to get an, into a fresh season this fall. They'll be the best small groups they've ever had. I pray for this women's discipleship study, that, that women will, will take a step of faith and sign up for that, And that women will invest into each other's lives, building each other up, speaking the truth in love to one another. I pray that everybody here would be building up this church. Not just a few people speaking your words, but everybody having your word on their heart and strengthening one another, encouraging one another. So, Father, we need you to do this work here among us. And we, we pray, Father, that we will long to see one another, to strengthen one another, and that the encouragement will be mutual among us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.